Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you're new, my name is Greg. I have the privilege of being one of our pastors. And we do Bible teaching. That's what we do. We believe this is from God. Not just any God, but a loving and benevolent God who would reconcile rebellious humanity back to himself. So there's some exciting things to cover. If you're new, I want to put you, get you up to speed. Today is week four out of what I said was going to be eight-week series. I think it's going to be nine. So yes, you've been lied to in church. It happened. We're in week four of a series called Hope 2020. There's plenty about this year that none of us saw coming that has zapped hope. This caused despair, confusion, distraction, people angrily raging at each other online. Um, I keep saying, some of these conversations, if, if Starbucks was open, and you took these two people who are yelling at each other and they had to sit down and have coffee face-to-face, you, you know they'd be a little bit nicer to each other, right? If you had to look at a human being instead of, you know... MAGA 122447, you know, is yelling at you, or you're yelling at him, or her, right? It's nameless, it's faceless. There's plenty of rage going on. There's lots to be enraged about, if you're willing, like I am, to always assume that you're right. You guys with me on that one? There's plenty to be angry about if you're willing to assume that you're always right. So we have talked about the hope that the gospel of Jesus Christ, this news that the God-man would put on flesh and suffer a penalty you and I deserved in our cosmic treason against God, that that provides hope when he offers forgiveness freely to anybody who will believe in him. And today we're talking about hope in the midst of cancel culture. So let me allow you, uh, allow me to tell you a few stories. And a lot of this is going on in pop culture. So if you're what I call a smart person, if you have no idea who's famous right now and you just read large books, good on you, by the way. You're not going to know any of these people because this is stuff that's floating around in pop culture right now, okay? But it's exactly what we're talking about, what we're addressing, and I believe the gospel has uh, unbelievable redemption for us in this particular type of chaos. All right. First, and then we'll see how many hands I get. Who knows who Jimmy Fallon is? Let's start with basics. Okay, we're maybe halfsies, a little better than halfsies. Okay. A few months ago, a video resurfaced of Jimmy Fallon performing in blackface in the year 2000. He was doing a Saturday Night Live sketch where he was impersonating a friend. And if you're not up to speed on this right now, um, to, to be found out years after the fact in particular, to show historical ignorance for what blackface is, to say, oh, I don't know, what's the big deal, etc., or to have performed it yourself, Total taboo. This is a great way to have your current contract canceled. This is a great way to lose your show. This is a great way to lose followers on social media and what have you. It could go bad for you. And um, although I will say, I'm going to pull out my historical nerd here for a second. Uh, blackface was an art form in the 19th century that was specifically designed to mock black people. Uh, in his defense, he was impersonating a personal friend of his. Um, so it wasn't the exact same thing. But does that stop people from absolutely lambasted, laying into him when the video pops up. 
Let me ask you guys something. When, when the mob comes at you, do they care about details? Right? Um, I remember uh, a friend years ago cracking a joke. 50, 50 people with uh, torches and pitchforks couldn't possibly be wrong, right? That, that's how, this, this is how cancel culture works. Let me tell you another story. Who knows who Taylor Swift is? Oh, yeah. She gets into one of these, I think, perfect, I think the perfect uh, conjured up on purpose. She gets into one of these Twitter spats with Kim Kardashian. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you know who that is. She's famous for being famous. That's not a good reason. So they're fighting each other on Twitter over something or other. And some fans of Kim Kardashian who are on Twitter start this wave of angry tweets against Taylor Swift, etc., which included numerous death and rape threats. I need you to hear this. Somebody, and it's, it's a public place, right? Twitter's public, but you won't realize. They're, they're fighting about something, probably just so that they make the gossip column. And threats of rape and threats of murder against one of the women, like that's acceptable somehow? That's Twitter. These are fake accounts. A lot of trolls have multiple accounts. There's no way to find out who these people are. And Taylor Swift did an extended interview a few months after that. This is, I think, four years ago now. An extended interview of her emotional health journey and having to meet with a counselor and going, there are tens of thousands of people out there that want me dead. If you don't think that would get inside your head, like, what do I do with this? Is this angry mob? Is this something that really didn't even have anything to do with them? Or something that Trader Joe's did recently. Um, so somebody, who, who's, who has eaten the yumminess that is the green chili enchiladas from Trader Joe's? Yeah, talk to me, okay. Okay, who knows what Trader Joe's is? Okay, that's much better. Go get the green chili enchiladas right away. Yeah. Trader Joe's got called out, I, I forget who, claiming that all of their different names for their different products were all racist because they reflected the culture of origin of that particular type of food, what have you. And they put out a thing basically saying, um, we're not racists, so you can't tell me what's in my heart, and these are very creative and they're fun, and you need to grow a sense of humor. They found a really nice, politically correct way to say that. You have no sense of humor, you need to chill out. We're not changing our brands because our customers don't find them racist and they buy them. So if our customers don't find them racist, who are you? Right? And that's where businesses are at, right? If enough of their customers are not offended, then they can continue on. If the customer is offended, then you've got a problem. Who knows who J.K. Rowling is? You sinners. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so J.K. Rowling, in case you don't know, uh, creator of Harry Potter, uh, however wealthy, if you have a fantasy of, of being rich one day, put three zeros behind whatever that number is. That this, this woman is worth a lot of money. Very successful books, successful films based on loosely off the books. Has a lot of money. And I'm going to make her story really short. She got lit up about two months ago online because she had the audacity to support a friend who got fired from a university in the UK. She was a professor, and she 
no longer got to be a professor. What did, what did she get fired for? What was this terrible thing that this lady said that got her fired? She had the audacity to say that there are two sexes. A woman was so mean as to say that there is male and there is female. And so she got fired, and it was J.K. Rowling's friend, and so she hops onto Twitter and supports and says, hey, since when is this crazy? I, I'm with her. And now and all this hate mail and all of this, and when I say hate mail, I'm, I'm mostly talking digital here. So they decide to unleash the hounds. This terrible, terrible woman, how could she say that there are two genders? And I don't know if it's irony, coincidence, a sick humor, J.K. Rowling has spent 20 years being one of the biggest advocates for LGBTQ rights. She's all about it. You want to have sex with any consenting adult, she is totally fine with it and ardently in support of it. And now they've sicked the dogs on her. Because at any moment, if you say something that other people disagree with, what? Truth is a commodity and we're going to bludgeon each other with it? Or our perspective of truth? Everything's going to be weaponized? If you're new to the Bible, I'd love for you to go this week and take a look at the, a book called Judges. And I believe it's seven different times the author of the book of Judges said, and in those days people did what was right in their own eyes. Brothers and sisters of ARC, if I'm not complaining, okay, it is what it is. I need us to see that culture flails about trying to figure out what truth is when it no longer has a unified answer to what is truth, or in the Christian case, who is truth. If you call ARC at your home, if you call Jesus Christ your Savior, I, I want to train, I want you to know. You're not here to sit on a comfy chair. I'm actually training you to think and operate like a missionary. And so I need you to see the culture around you. Not even American culture, just Western culture. Has no moorings any longer. There is no anchor. The closest thing we have to an anchor is, if it feels good, do it. There's nothing left. You can, as we have... Uh, anybody know Brother um, D.A. Carson? Anybody? Okay. So, not everybody hangs out with Anglican theologians, so that's okay. Some of us are nerds. D.A. Carson got kicked out of uh, the Anglican Church in Canada about 25, 30 years ago. And he's the most solid biblical, like how on earth could somebody kick him out? Because he believed that the Bible was true and his denomination had decided to say... Oh, you know, this strict definition of marriage between a man and a woman is that kind of archaic. And like, get all loosey-goosey with how they interpret the Bible. And so he gets kicked out, and, and evangelicals interviewed him and said, you know, what happened? I mean, what does it feel like to leave your denomination? He's like, I didn't leave. I haven't moved. This is exactly what we believed 30 years ago. It's what we believed 60 years ago. It's what we believed 500 years ago. They moved. They left me. They're not teaching the Bible anymore. D.A. Carson said when he studied revivals, he said there are four generations related to a revival. The first generation is in the midst of the revival. They believe the gospel. 
And he said this happens over and over like an arc. You can see it happen in any culture. He said the second generation assumes the gospel. You guys picking up what he's putting down? They don't state explicitly any longer that Jesus Christ, the God-man, took on flesh, lived the perfect life you and I should have lived, died the horrifying death that we should have died, offered freely his righteousness in place, taking our guilt onto himself and nailing it to the cross. They won't say that anymore. We just assume it, because everyone's Christian, right? Anybody remember the first Incredibles movie? The first Incredibles? So the little kid who becomes the bad guy, he wants to create these weapons... These, not, sorry, these, not these weapons, these awesome suits that makes everybody super. So everybody has special powers. And his MO, his, his, oh, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, he says, because as soon as everybody is super, no one will be. He didn't want the, you know, the Incredibles to have these special powers and not everybody else gets to have these special powers. The same is true of a religion. As soon as everyone's Christian, nobody is. And that's what he means when the second generation assumes the gospel. Then he said the third generation forgets the gospel. Then he said the fourth generation denies the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the last large move of God in the North American continent was in the 1830s and 1840s, the Second Great Awakening. We are coming up on 200 years of a slow decline with little happy bumps every great once in a while. Our culture does not have an anchor. So do we complain about it or do we do something? Right? Come on, guys. I'm a young man. You know my answer. Do something. There's the hill. Charge the hill. Let's go. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power, not a power, not one little uh, hip pocket tool that God has in his tool belt of nine different options. No, it is the power of God at work, not thinking about going to work, not on a smoke break. It is the power of God at work doing what? Giving cute, pithy ideas to people to consider in their worldview? No, saving people. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. So if God is at work seeking and saving the lost, and he is, Amen. and that's been going on for a long time, and people don't know the God that created them, and oh, that's been going on for a long time too, right? Then nothing's truly changed. In 2020, we feel like everything has changed. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you nothing's changed. Ultimately, nothing has changed. Solomon said, the more thing, everything what? The river, the rain comes, fills the river, the river goes to the ocean, it evaporates again. It's all just this meaningless cycle, like chasing the wind. There's nothing truly new. People still need to know the God who made them. Let me give a specific definition of cancel culture so we can see where the gospel is going to come to wait and bring redemption in the middle of what our culture is fighting with. 
If you type cancel culture into Wikipedia, here's what it's going to tell you. Cancel culture, also known as call-out culture, describes a form of boycott in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, either online on social media, or in the real world, or both. It includes getting fired. Canceling your contract. You're not going to get that new show. This happened a lot to comedians in the last few years. Those of you that like taking notes, grab your pen. Here's your first blank. Cancel culture creates hopelessness inside us because it makes us feel like we're being judged or could be judged 24 hours a day. Cancel culture creates hopelessness. It creates it inside us because it makes us feel like we are being judged or we at least could be judged 24 hours a day. Can somebody agree with me when someone is undeniably hardcore, somebody has utter disdain for you as a person. They're judging you. It's all over their face. Can we agree that is an awful feeling? It is a terrible feeling. And let me validate for you if now or in the past you felt that way, why it's so terrible. Because judgment, condemnation, damnation, these are the powers of an almighty, holy God. He's the only one who can judge and condemn. That's not for a mere mortal to do. So when you have judged somebody, when someone has judged you, and I don't mean this, to, in today's culture, we, we don't even hold on truth anymore. Like, oh, you can't judge me. We, also, we oftentimes throw that around to like say, there's no absolute truth. Like you can't call wrong, wrong. And that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, a whole soul level condemnation, you can go to hell. There is no redemption for you. There is no light at the end of the tunnel for you. I am done with you. I don't want any relationship with you. No, no, no. That kind of judgment. God is the only one who has the right to throw us out like that because of our sins. And he sent a Savior instead. This is what's so critical. We haven't gotten to it yet, but in John 8, there's a woman, probably naked. She was caught in the act of adultery. She's right there in the dust of the street. Jesus has to say to a bunch of religious elites, whoever has no sin, you throw the first rock. Yeah, let's stone her to death. You're right. Law of Moses. You guys are good at interpreting the Bible. And since we're talking about the justice of God, his holiness is the only one really that can carry it out. So who's sinless? Go ahead and throw the first rock. They drop the rocks. They leave. But who, I've said this at least five times since I got here, folks. I'm going to keep saying it. Who did not walk away from the woman? Jesus is indirectly confessing to his own sinlessness just by standing there. He could throw the rock if he wanted to. And what does he say? Where are your accusers? They're all gone, Lord. Good. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the greatest news in the whole world. So when you have felt judged, 
or when you have judged somebody else, you've been taking on God-sized responsibility. Brothers and sisters, we've done many an arrogant thing. And when we are judging somebody else, we're taking on the mantle and the authority of the Almighty God and wanting to pour out wrath on them, which isn't ours to do. Two of the apostles, when they're following Jesus around, and they're still kind of bumbling fools, if we're honest, the way we read the apostles, the, the disciples operating. They at one point go, two of them, hey Jesus, should we call down fire on them and incinerate them? Should we do that now? Is that is now the time we get to do that now? I saw it on Fortnite. I just wanted to do it. Is, is now our chance? And I can't prove it because it's not in the text, but I think Jesus did something like this. <laughs> These guys aren't getting it. These guys thought that following Jesus means we get to incinerate the enemies of God. Now, I know you've never run into a person like that, but Jesus had to deal with it from time to time. I know you've never run into a judgmental person who was religious, who had a very thick Bible, and yet there wasn't love, there was only judgment. I know you've never run into that person. We had a neighbor a couple of weeks ago tell my daughter that she was not a Christian because she was wearing pants instead of a dress. And I thought, oh my gosh, we should churn some butter and go across the street and get some... Anyway, sorry. Um, for real, though, the religious types, goodness gracious. Huh. Cancel culture creates hopelessness inside us by making us feel judged or potentially judged 24 hours a day. So this isn't in your notes, but I'm going to go through the process real quick. This is very important because this is going to show us where the gospel is missing from culture right now. Okay? I want to walk you through the process, and there are too many words, so you note-takers don't even try. But I can uh, happily email you a copy of my notes this week if you, want to hear, if you want to see visually what I'm about to describe verbally. Here's how cancel culture works in three steps, okay? First step, a person says or does something that somebody else deems to be wrong. That makes sense? Okay, that's the first thing that happens. Somebody says or does something that somebody else deems to be wrong. Second, here's the second step. The offended parties verbally attack or no longer sponsor or fire the offending party. Some kind of retribution, divine retribution of some type, or angry about what you said or did. Step three, the offending party now has to make a choice. They choose to stand their ground, severing ties with the offended party, right? We're going to have to let go of these customers. Can you imagine the NFL the last few years? Talk about a lose-lose situation, right? Do we want to lose millions of customers or do we want to lose millions of customers? Ugh, I would not want to be in business the last few years. They choose, the offending party, to stand their ground saying, no, we're right, and they, they sever ties with the offended party. Or they could apologize in agreement with the offended party in pursuit of healing that relationship. Does that make sense? Those are your options. I said something, people got offended, and now I can double down and say, uh, toodles, I don't care. Or I can apologize in agreement with you trying to reconcile the relationship. That is how cancer culture works. That's the cycle. My problem with that is I've already heard that story before. Anybody watch the movie and go, is this a remake of something? No, no, this is a brand new movie, honey. I'm, I'm pretty sure... I mean, listen, 
They all have muscles, they're all attacking. There's only one girl, so she's the love interest because there are no other females in this movie. I, I think I've seen this before. He's the bad guy, he's gonna lose. And if he doesn't lose, that's because they want to create multiple sequels and make more money. I've seen this before. There'll be some infighting to create a little tension in the middle. But it'll get resolved, it'll be fine. I think I've seen this before. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, this is why I beg you to stay in the Word of God, keep reading the Bible. You're going to see perverse versions of biblical narratives. You're going to see them played out in the culture right before your eyes. And you need to see them for what you can't see them for what they are if you don't know the real narrative that's in Scripture. So allow me to tell you where I've seen this narrative before played out. Step one. Humanity does something God deems wrong. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So there is an offense. Step 2. God doles out consequences to humanity, expresses displeasure. Genesis 3, verses 15 through 19. Step 3. Humans make the choice to either stand their ground, severing the relationship with the offended deity, or apologize to God, agreeing with him in pursuit of healing the relationship. That's where I've heard this story. Oh, brothers and sisters, we got a problem, you see. We've got a problem, because who's filling whose role? If the culture is playing out a perverted, godless cycle of who says something, who's offended, and who's allowed to dole out punishment, by, by the way the council culture works, what this means is everybody with a social media account gets to be God. When we are offended and we are railing at somebody, we are playing the part of God. That's sick. That is absolutely sick. It does not bless us to have a momentary demonic power trip. We don't actually get anything out of it. We might feel in the moment like we do. I feel empowered. That felt really good to get that off my chest. <laughs> Fired my verbal missile. <laughs> I didn't actually get anything out of that. The person who I attacked wasn't blessed. Anyone who saw it wasn't blessed. God was not blessed. Who wins? If everyone loses, who wins? Satan, thank you. Satan, not only is the enemy of God, he is the enemy of every image bearer of God. So if you look like your father, and you do, we call him homo sapien. All homo sapien are raging at each other, murdering each other. Jesus said to be angry in your heart with your brothers as the sin of murder. We're murdering each other with our words all day long. Acting like God in the process. I have the right to judge. I have the right to judge. The enemy of God must be thrilled. He doesn't care who's victimized or how often. As long as everybody's playing God, it's fine. There's no possible way, brothers and sisters, for any of us to honor God while we're sitting on his throne. None of my thoughts will be right. None of my passions will be right. None of my actions will be right. None of them. Because the fact that I'm sitting there means I think a little too highly of myself. There's no way I can make a right decision from that position. 
It's not possible. All right. The actual three points of the sermon. Are you ready? I know. He's just now starting. Yes. Hallelujah. The sermon started. Number one. Because we're talking about hope here. I needed to establish some despair. I feel despair if everyone can judge me. That's not fun. Hope rises when someone tells me God is my judge, not people. Number one, hope rises when someone tells me God is my judge, not people. Let me tell you some really, really good news that you probably, even if you've been in church for decades, you've never heard it as good news. When Israel, the first people of God, are delivered out of Egyptian slavery, and then they're in the wilderness, they come to a mountain called Sinai, and God says, I am going to show up in my manifest presence, and I'm going to give my people my law. This is how they are to live. Is that all he said? No. It could have been cute and fluffy. Like, hey, we're going to have this little powwow on a hill. It's going to be great. You should all come. You should bring barbecue. Oh, maybe not pork. Um, you should bring beef. It'll be awesome. That's not what he said. It's not what he said. He said, don't allow your herds to wander too close to the mountain. Any animal that touches the mountain, you have to kill it. And don't touch the mountain yourself or you'll die. What? Brothers and sisters, that's the greatest news ever. Because if this God who's going to come give us covenant on how to be in right relationship with himself, if he's the Holy One, if he's the one who's actually king of the universe, whose presence would kill me because I'm a sinner, that means everybody else in the camp is not that deity. So Renault can be angry at me, but he doesn't have the deity powers. I could, I could walk onto his land and not immediately die. Well, I don't know. We've got Second Amendment rights. Maybe I would die walking onto his land. Who knows? But it's not the same. Or if I'm angry at him. Like we do not have deity-sized righteousness, holiness, and just, justice in the way that we carry out whatever we think, feel, right? God being God is the greatest news in the whole world. This means that there's hope because the people I feel judging me right now shouldn't actually have the power that I'm giving them right now. I don't need to rage back at them and say, you're not God, but I do need to make that statement inside myself. Greg, the person who's raging at you right now is not God. Greg, the person who's mad at you right now is not God. Don't make sacrifices to a false deity, Greg. Had this happen about seven, eight years ago. I... Um, made the, the foolish mistake of thinking that Facebook could be a place for calm, logical debate of ideas. Insert chuckle here. And I made, I won't even tell you what topic, because I just don't need people throwing rocks at each other. Over a topic that is very, very emotional, and yet... If you want Republicans and Democrats in Congress to agree on it, you have to get the brass tax figured out so that you could get enough votes. And I was making a comment about the practical mechanics of a potential bill. And all that was thrown at me was emotion and hurt and anger. And brothers and sisters, I quit that day. I quit. This was eight or nine years ago. I quit. I said, I'm done. I'm done. The internet is clearly not a safe place for logical thought. 
what, what's the point? People want cat videos. I'll give them cat videos. Fine. I'm done. To find out that not everybody with a Facebook account is raging at you, they don't have the Shekinah glory. Only Yahweh has that. That is good news. We're finally in Romans. Look at verse 23. There's this huge buildup. Read all of Romans. Read it, read it, read it, read it. But listen to this. Eh, go back to 22. 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true of everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You hear that? Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. We are not God. No mere mortal is God. This weakens the power of the accusation that's made against me, of the judgment that's thrown my way. I'm not judged, but they're not judged either. And the judge, who, who is on his throne, has chosen to be merciful and patient. He has a long wick. Who here remembers what it felt like? Some of you it was just yesterday, sometime, some of you it was decades ago. Who remembers what it felt like to find out that your teacher was home with the flu and you were having a substitute today? Anybody remember that? Like I said, some of you it was yesterday. Not literally yesterday because you're at home quarantined, but some of you six months ago. Some of you is years ago. There is this assumption that the substitute teacher is not going to be as mean or as strict as the regular teacher. I have no idea if it's true or not, but the assumption is there. Or at least, you know, the substitute teacher is not going to know the rules, and so we're going to run roughshod over this man or woman. We're going to, oh, we get to do this. Oh, we always get to have ice cream during recess. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> From the teacher's little mini fridge under her desk. You know? <laughs> Those are for us when we're good. And we've been really good, let me tell you. <laughs> so it's a, it's a feeling. I remember it definitively. It, it feels almost like you're getting away with something. It feels like there's going to be less work. It feels like it's going to be less stringent. There's still an authority over me, and yet I'm excited that the authority is different than what's normal, and maybe he or she will be more nice or more gracious or just less structured, whatever it is. Brothers and sisters, it is a good, good thing in a world right now filled with judges. Everyone's got their long, what is that thing called? I want to call it a dress. Robe, there we go. Everyone's running around with robes and big gavels, and they're very mean-spirited about it. And if that's the judgment that you are used to, if that is the world that you're accustomed to, and I promise you, uh, our North American context, this is what we're used to right now. It's people judging us. People judging our parenting. People judging the way we do or do not do marriage. People judging whether or not we wear a mask. All of this stuff. To all of a sudden have your authority switched out, and there's this new judge, and he's the only judge, and his power is so immense, he allows you to forget all the other judges in your life. You please him. You please only him. And he's the judge saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's a good day. That's a really good day. There's still an authority, but it's a different one, and it's a more gracious one. 
Second, hope rises when someone tells me that Jesus took my punishment himself. First, hope rises when someone tells me that God is my judge, not people. But secondly, hope rises when someone tells me that Jesus took my punishment himself. The mob is not going to punish themselves for your wrongdoing. That makes no sense. Can we get an amen? That makes no sense. I'm angry at something you said. What you said is uh, racist, homophobe, all these words with all these syllables. I'm like, man, I went to public school. Like, you gotta, I can't keep track of all of these suffixes and prefixes. But with all these words, and I don't know the definition of half of them, I'm apparently a terrible person. Right? Cancel culture is rough. I didn't know I hated Hispanic people. Oh my gosh! I didn't realize I was a racist jerk. I'm so glad you told me. I didn't. How long has this been going on? People, you should have told me. I didn't know I hated women. And you're just now letting me know this. I've been on my 35 years hating women and nobody told me. How come my wife didn't tell me that I hate women? My mother didn't tell me. My sister didn't tell me. My aunt didn't tell me. My grandma didn't tell me. How come nobody told me I hated women? And now you in your clairvoyance have let me know. Huh. See, here's the deal. When somebody shows me that God is the judge and these people out here are not the judge, and then I find out this judge says, tell you what, I had a conversation with my son, co-equal, co-eternal. Jesus, go take on flesh. I want to send you down there. Live perfectly what they should have lived but didn't. And then die for their sins. And I'm going to raise you up back to life on the third day. And by what you experience and by what you do, you will be given the name that is above every other name. That every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Go do that. Jesus, co-equal, co-eternal, not some doormat, not as some really arrogant atheist philosophers have called the cross uh, divine child abuse. So silly. Co-equal with the Father says, yes, Father, it is my joy to obey your will. So there's one judge, and he sends his son to redeem me from the wrongdoing that I did, instead of crushing me. Turn a couple pages to your right. Go to Romans 8. A couple pages to your right. Romans chapter 8. Eight thirty-one. Early church father named Paul, same book as, as we read just a moment ago. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What wonderful things? There's this whole list. His calling, his redemption, justification, sanctification. I think five or six, four or five big things in those verses right before. All these wonderful things about a human being taken from enemy of God to be made friend of God and in that friendship holy enough to walk into heaven one day. Amazing. What shall we say about the things as great as these? 
If God is for us, the only judge, if he is for us, not against us, who can ever be against us? This is, as we've said in, in, in months past, that bumper sticker, and I mean no judgment, you just need to remove it from your bumper right away. If you've got that bumper sticker that says Jesus plus me equals a majority, I need you to get that bumper sticker off your car. The Bible says God by himself is a majority. As Americans, we really, really struggle with this. We have no higher authority in our worldview than a president, and a president has to deal with the Supreme Court, the House, the Senate, the Constitution from time to time. We have no idea what it would be to grow up in a monarchy. A lot of the enlightened despots of the 18th and 19th century, they had bodies like a House of Lords, but it was a little bit perfunctory. They got to get down to the details of the budget, but you still had a king. You still had somebody that was basically two-thirds of the government in their person. And so we struggle when the Bible says, if God says yes, who could possibly say no? Ecclesiastes says, if God broke it, do you think you could fix it? Job says, if God tells the oceans to exist and tells them where their boundaries are, did you have any part of that? Did you add any wisdom to it? Did you give God some pointers on creating the Pacific? If God decides to take rebels like you and me and say, I am going to be their friend, I will be their ally, I will be the forgiver of sins. If God says that, it's a rhetorical question, who could possibly be against us? Who could condemn the church? Who could make our sins apply to us again and send us to hell? No one. Verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's logic, by the way, folks. That's logical argumentation. If the Father gave us Jesus, why would we doubt any smaller gift? There's no point. So I want you to imagine yourself, rewind the clock 300 years, and you're on a sailing ship out in the Caribbean, and your ship crashes on an island somewhere, and there's a tribe there of locals. And they say, hey, we'll help you, uh, you know, I'm making this up as I go, so this is going to be a terrible analogy. We'll help you uh, build your ship for 100 gold pieces. We'll, we'll do that. And you don't have 100 gold pieces, so you lie to them and say, yes, fix my ship, and you're just going to sail off in the night as fast as you can. You're going to find a way. Well, you get caught. You get caught that you're lying, and you don't actually have the gold pieces. And they take you in front of the chief of this tribe, and the chief finds out what you did. It's clear. It's right there. Everybody knows you don't have it. You lied to them. And he pulls out of his bag 100 gold pieces. And he pays the workers. And he gives you a spot of land over on the hill next to his house. And he gives you his daughter in marriage. And he gives you a title that makes you second in command of the tribe. As the weeks and years go by, you living your life inside that tribe after this unbelievable 
grace. What is the power inside of you in those moments where you're not sure if the chief likes you or not? What power do you have inside your own soul to remind yourself of the chief's heart? How do you remind yourself of the heart of the chief? You look at the land you're standing on that he gave you. You look at your wife. He gave you his daughter as his wife. Look at the fact that you're alive. You didn't get killed. You look at the fact that you're not in debt because he paid your debt for you. Christians, you and I are going to doubt the love of God from time to time. It is going to happen. We are mere mortals. We're still fighting, fighting against the old self, the flesh. We are going to sometimes, when we put a loved one in the ground, say, God, where were you? And in a dark night of the soul, where is a Christian supposed to look when we're asking, is the king of kings still my ally? Does he love me? Where do we look? If you're new to church, you need to do like or no. If you're not sure the answer, just say Jesus. There's a 90% chance that directly or indirectly, that is the correct answer. Yeah, verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Hope rises when someone tells me Jesus took my punishment himself. That'll give you hope. Brothers and sisters, there's no virus that can take that away. There's no ranting in politics that can take that away. Third, there's no blank on this one. Hope rises when I tell someone what was told to me. How many of you guys know Christianity doesn't terminate on itself? It's, it's a movement that's meant to go roll forward. What kind of a jerk is in the middle of a desert, finds water, and doesn't tell his buddies. Yeah, you could get tried for that probably any country in the world, but here in the U.S., you're in trouble. To find a life source and purposefully withhold information that could save somebody else's life, that's not good. Hope rises. Turn with me real quick. I'm probably going super long. What time is it, guys? I left my phone over there. Okay, we're going to do this real fast. John 145, turn with me. John 145. It's just one example. Just one example. Jesus is calling some of his first disciples at the beginning of his ministry. Verse 45, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Wasn't it the most natural thing in the whole world for his brother? It's like, hey, we, we found the Messiah. Can anything good come from that neck of the woods? Look, I already told you what I know. I think we found the Messiah. Come and check him out for yourself if you're not going to trust what I told you. Did you guys see both components of evangelism there? I tell my co-worker about Jesus. My co-worker's like... 
eh, I don't know. Dude, you just need to come to church Sunday. I already told you who the Messiah was. If you need to do further investigation, come on Sunday. We have elders and pastors that will help answer your questions. But just come on Sunday. Come on. Come and see. Hope rises when somebody tells me God's the judge, not the people around me. Hope rises when someone tells me that Jesus took my punishment for wrongdoing into himself instead of punishing me the way that the mob does it. And hope rises when somebody turns around and passes on this freedom. If I find my creator and he loves me and he's good to me and he's your creator too, I've got to tell you, I included John 4, I included the entire book of Acts. The movement of the gospel is people finding God or as uh, Paul puts it, God finding them. And then what happens? He uses my testimony, my excited proclamation, as the woman at the well runs into town and says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Right? You can be a Christian for two seconds and you are not sharing who Jesus is with somebody else. Didn't need a class. Didn't need to go through a whole course online. Didn't need to read a book. You passed on what you were told. And I'm going to skip that part because we're going long. So, here's what I'm going to leave you with. My thesis statement. You ready? And then we're going to pray. Jesus could have canceled you. But he didn't. Jesus took the shame of your sin and mine 2,000 years ago. He marched up a hill with a cross on his back. And he allowed himself to be canceled. Holy Spirit, would you please take those of us who love you and train us, God, to see where the culture around us is yearning for the good news. Train us, God, to see, frankly, where the culture is not yearning for the God news, the, the, the good news, the God news. Train us to see where people are stubborn and rebellious toward the gift that you have for them. And teach us how to love extravagantly. Jesus, those of us who do not yet love you, I pray that your gospel has been clear and I ask you to save us today if you have not already. Give us hearts that trust you implicitly. That we begin our journey the rest of eternity of loving you and serving you. God, empower this church to reach Citrus Heights in a very odd, peculiar time and odd circumstances. Teach us to love extravagantly as you, Jesus, have loved us. In your beautiful name we pray and God's people say, Amen. Love you guys and have a good week.